My name is Davy Knowles, and this is the Blues Podcast. <laughs> Hi everyone, it's Big Boy Bloater here for the Blues Podcast, and I'm very excited for today's episode because I have with me a musician, well not with me, but I'm talking to a musician who's been described by Joe Satriani, nonetheless, as uh, as his favourite modern day blues man. I mean, that's an accolade not to, to be taken lightly, I think. So uh, without further ado, I shall say a big hello Blues Podcast to Davey Knowles. Hello, Davey. How you doing, man? <laughs> hey, I'm doing very well. Yourself? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, very good indeed. So, um, I always like to kick these things off with uh, just talk about the early days, basically, and uh, how you got into music and all that sort of thing. Now, you grew up on the Isle of Man, which is, is, is to, to me, seems a fairly sort of isolated uh, area to grow up in terms of music that is sort of you know, going to live music and that sort of thing. I heard that at about age 11, you were kind of like got into um, Dire Straits, Sultans of Swing. And that was something that kicked it all off for you. That, I mean, how does, how does a lad on the Isle of Man, who's, you know, age 11, I guess that puts you about 90, end of the 90s somewhere at that age, uh, when all that kind of Britpop's going on, that sort of thing. What was it that drew you to Dire Straits at that time? <laughs> Well, you know, yeah, I mean, you're right about the Isle of Man. You know, we never got any major, major names coming over. Um, not really in my, in my time there. Um, but there was an amazing live music scene amongst the locals. You know, every pub had live music. So from the get-go, you know, there was there was always stuff going on that was really interesting. And there was, um, I don't know, created a wonderful atmosphere. So it felt nurturing and it felt very safe and it felt... Um, um, yeah, just just kind of a welcoming musical community. You're right about the, you know the whole Britpop thing, and I never I never really um, right. <laughs> I never really got into uh, a lot of that stuff till later. Maybe Ocean Colour Scene I was a big fan of. I remember. Okay. I loved yeah, that I love those guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, so so my dad, I, I was coming back from a friend's house. My dad had picked me up, and he put in a, a cassette tape showing my age of um, uh, Dire Straits in the car. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what it was. I think it was something to do with the guitar sound. You know, everything I'd heard up to that point was really distorted. And, and it was yeah. super cool. I loved it. But it was just so kind of crystalline. And, and um, I, I really loved that, uh, that sound. And the way that the guitar kind of weaved in around the vocals, you know, it, they were inseparable from one another. And I, I think that really drew me in, that, that this guitar the guitar didn't just have to come out and poke through and shine for a minute and step back. It could, it could kind of weave in and out of this song and be a permanent fixture. Um, right. I don't know. I probably didn't think about it all in those terms at 11. I probably just thought, this is really <laughs> cool. I want to buy a headband and be Martin Offler. I think that was <laughs> really the main thing. See, I, I, I would have thought that that was, at that point in their career, they were they were fairly uncool at the time. Surely, I mean, it's yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I wasn't was probably... I wasn't really following them at that point. Um, I wasn't really aware that they might still be going. Um, I think I think they had gone by the time I discovered them. Yeah, yeah. that was at nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, ninety three. I think they'd kind of called it quits. The saxophone kind of smooth dire straits wasn't the uh, 
wasn't the Dire Straits I, I, I got initially turned on to. It was more the pub rock yeah. thing. It's a cracking song. I really like it. And it's, oh, it's great. I, I think, like I say, it's, it's, it's coming in and out of fashion, I think. And it's, that, that's probably a sign of a good song that it can actually come back and be, you know, picked up by kids of 11, 20 years later or something, 30, 40 years later. I mean, that's, that's definitely yeah. the mark of a good song, I think. Well, your friend's not kind of listening to, you know, like, as you say, the ocean colour scenes and your, your oasis and all that sort of thing. And they, you know, they thinking, what's he doing? What's he doing listening to that? <laughs> Old band I'm sure music. they were. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we, we, I mean, I think kind of new metal had just started as well, like you know, Nickelback, right. uh, touch wood, you yeah. can't say that word. Um, uh, You're safe. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I've got nothing against him. Um, Nickelback had just come out, and that whole you know Incubus and and these kind of new metal guitar-driven bands. And um, I don't know. To to me, I don't. I just didn't. I, I just didn't really catch on to it. It didn't really stick with me. Um, but no, I never got. I never got teased about it. Um, my friends were always really really supportive with it. It was lovely. But yeah, there, there was some, some good friends, and I'd say, yeah, yeah. I got really lucky. I got, or maybe I just didn't hear them talking. You know, <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. Just, just blanked it all out. It'll come back years later. You, you'll suddenly realise, uh, you know, how, how terrible school was and all that sort of thing. It'll be, yeah. Oh, of I... midlife crisis. You got that to look forward to anyway. So that, that will be. Fun, <laughs> it's kind of that song that inspired you to go and pick up a guitar, right? And and. and you know, start learning and copying the riffs and all that sort of thing. I think it's interesting you say about the uh, the riffs coming in and out with the vocal, because, I mean, that's a very blues thing, really, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, if you listen oh, to B.B. Yeah. King, that's exactly what he does, isn't it? It's, you know, so it's... It's this call and response. You think that was a, a lead into to the blues? Yeah, yeah. That, that was maybe kind of, a, again, a secondary kind of afterthought. I think it was just the guitar being front of centre, really, with it. And uh, once I exhausted the Dire Straits catalogue, which I still don't feel like I really have. I'm still a massive fan. Um, my dad turned me on to uh, John May on the Blues Breakers, the Beano record, which I think is uh, such a, yeah, I mean, it, it's such a point of entry, I think, for, for most of us. Um, and that was really my first introduction to, to the blues. Um, and it was such a good one, I think, in that, you know, the, the first track is a Otis Russ track, then there's a Freddie King track, then there's a Ray Charles track, then there's a uh, a Robert Johnson. You know, there's so many great yeah. names. Co covering uh, all the bases, all the classics, isn't it, really? Oh, yeah. So you read the liner notes, right? Um, and you're going, well, I need all of the Otis Rush. I need all of the Freddie King. I need, you know, and so it was such a great introduction because it kind of, it blew the doors open for me, uh, that record. Yeah. And so you borrowed your dad's guitar, is that right? It's, uh... Yeah, he was he was a good, uh, he kind of called himself a victim of the great 60s folk scare. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so we were always hearing, you know, Donovan and uh, Bert Yanch and Pentangle and John Remborn and uh, Fairport Convention and uh, a lot of the kind of English folk stuff, which I love. Um, he was always playing uh as far as you know as long as i can remember but yeah i think he and i kind of once we found that we had this music thing in common then it was you know a real a real connection and yeah here you go try this you know here's here's a couple right, of chords yeah. and off to the races yeah because <laughs> you had some you had some guitar lessons as well didn't you but you kind of decided it wasn't for you i mean i had exactly the same um really 
experience. My mum and dad realised I wanted to play guitar, so they got me like a classical guitar and some lessons, you know, and it was all kind of learning to play classical. And I thought, no, no, I just want to kind of crank it up and rock out. That's what I want to do. So, exactly. So I had yeah. no interest in, in that whatsoever. It's, uh, I think that's the case for a lot of musicians, I guess. But What, what, what sort so, of guitar did yeah. you start on? Well, um, I really wanted an electric guitar, but my, my folks quite understandably, you know, kids going through fads, they're like, here's, here's a, here's a guitar we found at the charity shop, you know, and it was a, it was yeah. a, a three quarter size Spanish nylon string, which was perfect. And, uh, you know, stick with this and then we'll, we'll think about getting something louder, you know? Um, yeah, right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, there was a wonderful guitar teacher at my uh, school called uh, Mr. Lum, and he was very, very patient. Um, and I went there for a little bit, but again, like, like, like your, your experience, you know, you're not allowed to touch the guitar. It has to be held out here. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you have to have a little stool for your foot, you know, all of this stuff. And, um, I never wanted to be Andre Segovia. I never wanted to, to, you know, be so disciplined. I just like you just wanted to go for it. Um, so in the end, I just used to, I used to skip lessons and go down and jam with him instead. And and he kind of let me do that, which was brilliant, uh, brilliant. And then and then again, kind of coming back to the Island Man, there was this. It was really easy to find like-minded people. And so, um, while I, I would never say I had formal training, um, I I also I don't really believe in the word self-taught. Uh, I don't think anyone is. I think uh, that it, you know, I had a lot of people take me under their wing, and and uh, I was very lucky for that. Yeah, I think I think you know a lot of guitarists say to me, what, "What's the what's the best way to learn? What's the you know any tips?" And I always say the best the best thing is just play with other people, just you mm -hmm. know just get in a jam or something, just play with other people because you learn so much more. You can sit in your bedroom for hours practicing practicing scales and you know trying to learn songs and all that, but it's not until you go out and you're in you know a kind of environment with other people and you see how they do something and, and it makes you think about doing something. It's the whole reaction thing as well it's uh it's it's a social thing isn't it we're social beings yeah. and, and yeah. it's a social yeah and and you know it makes me think i'd love your opinion on this is is you know you're talking about social media and there's like a whole new genre of guitar players that i see that are totally and utterly um just seem only focused on uh, a quick 30 second or a minute thing to put on the internet and it's very good, but it's like a whole new genre of, of guitar players not playing with other people, but, but putting it on social media. Do you see that? Mm. I, I've seen a little bit of that sort of thing. I, I think I know what you mean. I think that's, you know, I could be digging myself a hole now, but um, oh dear. I think Sorry. that's a bit indicative <laughs> of, um, of, of, of how we are today. It's all, it's all very short, snappy bits of look at me. And it's all about, you know, selfies and it's all, um, it's, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. again, the, I think the other thing about playing with other people is going and learning and playing with other people is you learn how to interact. And as a guitarist, I think it's really important that you don't step on people's toes all the time. You're not playing over the lyric all the time and you're not, and I think, uh, oh, I don't know, you know, some, maybe some of the, some of the modern, um, you know, influencer types and all that sort of thing don't really have that ethic they just well you know it's it's all about me i think for, for, that's the I way i see it yeah. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, and I, I don't know, it, it makes me feel a little... Uh... A little sad because I I said the same thing when people ask me oh yeah how do how do I do this go out and play go out put yourself out there go play in the you know open mic do anything you can yeah um be the worst player in the room always yeah and um make make some mistakes and go oh I'm not doing that again yeah. <laughs> absolutely and then do it again <laughs> yeah <laughs> but we're feeling next time yeah there you go close your yeah. eyes and put your tongue in your cheek and. And, and there you go, yeah. you can get away with anything. Uh, yeah. yeah, kids, that's guitar tip number one. Always close your eyes, put your tongue in your cheek. And you, what is it they call it? The egg, the egg in the cheek. The egg? Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yeah, that's guitar pose number one, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to um, yeah. guitars Sorry. and that sort of thing, because mm -hmm. I, want, I want to know this early guitar play. What do you, what do you, I mean, you started a, a band at school with, with friends as well. I guess like-minded friends, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, it's... Uh, mm -hmm. I think you were quite lucky there. I mean, when I was at school, which was a little bit before you, but um, all the kids were into Michael Jackson and Five Star, and, and that was it. I couldn't get anybody else interested in anything else. It was like, oh, I'm the only weird kid in the school, apparently. So uh, <laughs> I think you were very lucky. It's, uh, yeah. Let, let's talk about the, little, the early days a, a little bit. Yeah, I, I was really lucky. And, um, you know, uh, I was playing out, um, in pubs, you know, uh, from when I was probably about 13 or 14, which was brilliant. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then I realized, yeah, it was a great, it was just great training ground. It was just brilliant. And, and again, safe. Um, but I, uh, I wanted to do something of my own. You know, I, I'd always loved players who were writers. I'd, I always, you know, the Martin Offlers of the world, um, the Rory Gallagher's of the world. I think his songwriting is really underrated. Um, and I always, I'd always love that. I'd always kind of realized that guitar is really fairly useless to me if it's not in the context of something interesting. Yeah, I, I, I probably around about 15, I, I realized I wanted to do something of my own, put a band together uh, of, of people my age rather than, uh, you know, constantly kind of playing with with folks older than me i wanted to have that and um uh so yeah i put together backdoor stand with with some friends from school um and i don't know really how it came about other than you know it was a small school and everyone knew each other and and it just got like you said really really lucky really lucky were the other guys into that kind of music as well or was it very much you kind of, sort of leading them and pulling them and saying listen to this listen to, we should try this kind of thing um, the, uh, the bass player, um, was, uh, his name was Jamie Armstrong, the original bass player. Yeah. I think he was aware of some of this stuff. Um, but I think probably, and I, you know, he introduced me to, to stuff and it was all, I don't want to, to say it was just all me, but I think, uh, I certainly had a bit more of, um, a drive towards the older bluesy classic rock stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And did the, uh, did the voice come along at the same time as well? Was that something you had to work on? Was it, oh. you were interested in doing that or was it just guitar you were kind of focused on at the time? I, I only started doing it cause no one else wanted to. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hear that so often. <laughs> so oh man. Well. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah it, you know, um, I, I still feel like I'm working on it all the time. It's it's definitely the thing that has been the least natural um, for me. I find it intimidating. You know, if if someone doesn't like your guitar playing, you can you know blame it on the amp. Oh, it wasn't. It was you know. 
terrible sound that night, you know, what have you. Someone doesn't like your voice. It's like saying, well, you're rubbish. You're terrible. You know, it's a very much more personal thing. And um, I think if someone I, doesn't I, like your voice, it's almost like them saying that you're ugly or something, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's, it's a horrible thing to hear. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's tough to hear. Um, so, yeah, I, I've always kind of, I've always struggled with, with, the, with the voice thing. I think you sound great. So <laughs> you should just <laughs> plow on and carry on doing what you're doing. It sounds sounds excellent to me. But uh, cheers, mate. It's, I think it's very hard to hear yourself as well, isn't it? Because, like you say, you're playing guitar. You've got a, a a barrier. You know, it's a separate thing. It's a separate entity, and that's fine. You can make it sound different tones. Your voice is your voice, and the way it sounds in your head as well is 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 <laughs> it's very um, instant, isn't it? And, uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Well said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um yeah school band then i mean did you perform co- concerts at school i mean did the other kids were getting it were they saying come on play some oasis or you know that kind oh, of oh yeah we went through the whole you know smells like teen spirit and and you know okay, going right. through all of that stuff of course yep. um but um yeah we i mean we played battle of the bands and then um Again, with it being such a small community and such a uh, tight knit kind of musical community, we got gigs straight straight out the bat. You know, we uh, the, the drinking laws were a lot more lax back then. It was you know if you're yeah. not if you're not causing any trouble, come in and have a pint. You know, you might yeah, only yeah. be seven, but it's it's all right. Um, uh, so yeah, we were we were playing out from from sixteen, um, you know, three nights a week sometimes, and, right. and it was. It was fabulous, really good. Um, uh, there was a, a local promoter called Lenny Conroy, who I'd known uh, for a while at this point, and he was instrumental in in getting us uh, around the Isle of Man, all the pubs of the island, and and so you know, we were being championed really from the get go over there, which oh, yeah. was absolutely incredible. Really looking back on it, how it all clicked very very quickly. I I, I think I probably banged on about this before in the podcast certainly on, on radio shows and stuff like that but I, I was i always love to hear about you know when a band you know the early days and they go around the pubs and they do pub, pub gigs and sometimes it will be to you know two fishermen and a dog or something like that and sometimes they'll have a yeah. great night and it's all builds up for you know to to, to to make you what you are to you build your stagecraft that way and getting back to what you were saying earlier about the the, the 30 second kind of generation that sort of thing I've caught, unfortunately, caught bits of things like uh, X Factor and, and, and things like that. People have gone on and, and you know, some of them are nearly in their 30s, maybe. And they go, you know, oh, it's always been my dream to be a pop star. Uh, but they've never done a gig. They've never done The first time they've sung in front of an audience is in front of a TV studio, you know, with, yeah. with all the bells and whistles. And, you know, you can't really go wrong, can you? I mean, you can't mess that up too much, can you? It's... Uh, and it's, I, I, I have a thing with those shows. They're marvellous entertainment, yeah. right? You know, it's everyone likes a car crash. <laughs> well, which is yeah. terrible. Um, but um, I, was it Dave Grohl that said this? And it, it was, you know, just imagine if Bob Dylan had gotten up there and he sung something and the judges would have said, well, well, you're nasal, you're flat, yeah. your harmonica playing is terrible. And, yeah. we, and we would have lost one of the greatest musical you know, minds of any generation, of any yeah. era. But I think that's 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 indicative of those old days, though, isn't it? Where you know labels were happy to p- 
put in three or four albums for you to to get it right and things like that. Now it's got to be instant hit, or it's or you're out the door, aren't you? It's, you know, absolutely. And if if you don't play that game, brilliant. Don't even think about it. That's that's always been my, you know, the the goal is not you know a great big fat bank balance and and uh, a flash in the pan career and then you're gone forever. The plan is to yeah. play music. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think if you keep that, um, you know, that focus, you're not really driven to do anything else. And and I, um, like I say, it's wonderful entertainment. It's a wonderful TV show. Uh, but I think it's also... Over generous now, maybe, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm being polite, I think. <laughs> yeah. But, but, yeah. Um, but it is also engineering that... This is the, that's the way you do it. That's the way to become a musician. And I think that's sad uh, for younger kids to see. And I think it's also sad for younger kids to see that the way to become a musician is to do something flashy on Instagram with good lighting. You know, I'd, yeah. it, that's, not, that's not the reality of it in any kind of way. But I think time, time will tell. History will show, you know. Uh, another thing I've banged on about before is, is I don't think we're particularly making a lot, a lot of classics these days. I mean, through the 60s and 70s, there was a plethora of classic albums, hit songs that have stood the test of time, that are still played today now and lauded as great songs. I don't hear a lot of those songs coming through for the last 10, 15 years, maybe. I don't know. There's still some, the occasional one, but just not as much. And I think everything's just geared to churn it out, sell it, and move on to the next thing now. And it doesn't really matter. Which is a shame. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I agree. And sometimes I feel like I'm cynical for thinking that. Um, yeah. But but <laughs> as I you think, get older, it gets worse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be great. Um, but no, I I I think you're right. I mean, uh, th those songs are you know you're born and you know them, right? Uh, some of yeah. those classic yeah. ones are just a fabric of of people's lives. I'm not sure if we have that. I think you're right. Yeah. Maybe maybe the tide will turn and we'll realise that and it'll come back to it. And it won't be. I think, um, slightly getting off topic again now, but um, I was quite interested about this, this the ABBA comeback recently. Um, oh, yeah. And the, the fact that they're doing the, the avatars and that they'll be doing gigs like that. I think, again, uh, for the first time in a very long time, it won't really matter what you look like. Back in the 70s, if you look at all the 70s pop stars, you know, like the, the, the big top the pop stars at the time, bands like Mud or things like that, you know, I mean, they weren't, look, they weren't good looking guys particularly, but they had massive hits and uh, it wasn't about how they looked. It was about how they sounded and what they played and the music they played. Mm -hmm. It's all become about looks a lot these days. And I think if that changes somehow with this avatar thing, you, you can ha look however you want, then it puts the puts the uh puts the emphasis back on the music again which i could think could be interesting could be could totally ruin the whole thing i don't know i don't know where we're going with it but, yeah uh, that's interesting isn't it and that you know the hologram thing that came out you know dio yeah coming back from the, from the dead and, and doing that um you know i think maybe the other side of that is uh trying to think kind of objectively a little bit is are all of these kids you know playing, going over it you know, a million times to get something impressive from Instagram. Is that making better musicians? Is that making more disciplined musicians? Um, 
I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You and I have, a, I think, a very similar mindset and go out playing. And I wonder um, if, uh, if, if just the, kind of the time spent, you know, doing all of this is uh, is actually creating better musicians. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, 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 I I've got <laughs> a bad feeling about it. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, sure, the, the, sure. You know, the, the cynicism coming out there, but you know, I think. Um, yeah, go back to Bob Dylan, you know, yeah, right. Yeah. He's, you know, his uh, harmonica playing might have been great and he's definitely, you know, he's got a very distinctive voice and all that, but that's what, that's what made it. It's that, it's yeah. those, those warts and all things that kind of yeah. made it. And, and then he's fantastic songwriter on top of that. You know, if, if he had, yeah, if he turned up today looking like that, sounding like that, they'd be going, no, no, no chance. You, wouldn't even get on the on the on the you know on the first round of the X Factor, I guess. But, yeah. Absolutely, and it just makes you wonder how many Bob Dylans there might yeah. be kind of wandering around. If you're enjoying the Blues podcast, then make sure to follow the Spotify playlist Blues Meets Rock. Not only is it filled with great contemporary blues artists, it also features all the guests we've had here on the Blues podcast. So head over to Spotify and follow Blues Meets Rock. To take a listen. Let's let's get back to talking about you a little bit. I, um, yeah. you live in Chicago these days. Now, how how does a how does a fellow from the Isle of Man who plays kind of blues predominantly, I suppose, uh, is it the blues thing that drew you to Chicago, or uh, or was it uh, was it something more exotic? I think it's a typical musician story, really. Um, I uh, we used to spend a lot of time here in the early days of touring because it was a great. Uh, central location you know you could jump off to so many different places from here really easily um we started touring because we we did south by southwest in austin we got signed to a u.s label uh and they were basically sick of of flying us transatlantic all the time for tours which is totally understandable and we were you know footing that bill eventually as as you well know with with these things um so uh i we got we got the offer basically we've got a place for you to stay in Los Angeles, if you'd like it, which was a cushy situation. Again, I got really lucky. So it was either, you know, at 19, do you want to go live with your folks or do you want to move to Los Angeles? It's done. See you later. Um, Out the yeah. door. <laughs> difficult, difficult decision there. Um, but we, we ended up spending a lot of time here and I like it here a little better. Uh, it suits me a little, little more, a little less insincere, a little less uh, cutthroat. Uh, yeah. And uh, I actually met my now wife here in Chicago. She's Chicago born. That's the typical musician story part of it. Right, and yeah. so uh, the decision to move here was a very, very uh, easy one, a non-decision. Yeah. And, and, you're, and you're loving it now. Right? How, how long have you been in Chicago? Oh, over a decade now, I think. You're right. 11, 12 years. Yeah. So you must, must, must almost be learning the language by now then. Uh, no, it evades me. It, it's it's totally and utterly indecipherable. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was gonna, I was going speaking of touring and you know you saying about the the, the the label bringing you over all the time, flying over. Uh, do you find it kind of odd that you spend more time in, in the US playing than in in the UK in your sort of home homeland, the motherland, as it were? Yeah. It is really strange how it's worked out. Um, there's, you know, uh, there are more American musicians 
doing stuff and you know back home than than I ever did um which is a shame I'd like to sort that out really tour in America though I mean I've done a little bit of tour in America and it's it's I found it really hard work because it's such a big country it's just so huge you know you can in the UK you can go from city to city you know play one city one night one city the next in the, in the US it's like constant driving and all that it's, uh, does, does that not get you down a little bit oh yeah yeah you get used to it. I mean, I, I think everything is, you know, um, is a matter of that. Uh, and I think also, you know, find yourself a good, uh, a good booking agent or, you know, plan your tours, um, you know, as, as carefully as you can, you know, rather than kind of a, a pin the tail on the donkey kind of situation. Um, yeah. you know, the East coast is, is an easier way to tour. Um, you know, everything is a bit more European, really. Everything's a little bit, uh, closer together and, um yeah easier to navigate like that uh it's when you start getting kind of out in midwest into the wet the west is is really difficult to plan it's really difficult you know you know you're gonna have a day of travel um you know an eight nine ten hour drive um yeah. so yeah it's it's definitely different but i've i've always loved the kind of nomadic side of this uh i've always loved uh, this this kind of romantic notion of of not being anywhere in particular, and and I think embracing that has helped me deal with it. I think that's that's quite a, a brave way to be, really. I think a lot of people would wouldn't be able to do that. You need, they need that um, you know the constant blanket of knowing where they were where they were and where they were going. That's that's quite a brave way to be. Oh, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, it's um. I, I like the idea of being slightly kind of in between places. And I like is that is that another way of saying lost or just? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> There's a lot to be said for being lost. Sometimes I think it's uh, you know takes you out of your comfort zone, doesn't it? Which, I guess it's, it's, certainly it's, does. Yeah, yeah, certainly does for better or worse. Uh, let's talk a little. I mentioned it in my. Um, in my introduction at uh, Joe Satriani, said that uh, UAE's favourite modern day uh, blues guy. Uh, that's 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 quite something, isn't it? How did, how did you get to meet Joe? That's really kind. Uh, yeah, he's he's a lovely chap. Um, how how I got to meet Joe is is a really name droppy story. Um, <laughs> we love it. <laughs> I was um, I was on tour with Jeff Beck. Uh, I was right. I was on tour with him, and we were playing a lovely theatre in Oakland, California. And I'm talking with Jeff after the show, um, and around the corner pops Joe Satriani, Sammy Hagar, and Chad Smith from Red Hot Chili Peppers, yeah. and they'd caught my opening set, which was which was lovely. And we were all just chatting, and it was really nice. And the next thing I know. Um, those guys with Michael Anthony from Van Halen had formed this super group, um, Chicken Foot, which is a great name for a band. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, they asked me to come and open. And so I got to know those guys really through that, that, that gig in, in California. And then I, I ended up doing some more stuff with Joe as well. Um, and uh, a, nicer, a nicer guy you'll never meet. He's uh, a really, really lovely human being. Yeah. That's that's nice to hear these days, isn't it? Because you know you never know 
how it goes. Uh, you know, yeah. well, a lot of the time people say, don't ever meet your heroes. And, uh, you know, it can go wrong. I mean, I, there's a couple of guys yeah. I've worked with, old blues guys who I absolutely loved. And I've had to go and do a gig with them. And they've just been the most cantankerous old bastards in the world, basically. And it's just like, uh, now I, I have a, yeah. a real hardship listening to their music. Some Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of ruins it. So yeah. it's, it's lovely to hear when, when musicians are normal and human and uh, you know, mm. approachable and, and, and good like that. Is, is there, um, uh, why we're talking, come on, who's, who's the worst one you've ever met then? Who's the, who's oh, the I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name <laughs> we names. We love to dish the dirt. People love it. <laughs> there's, there's been okay, a couple well, where you go. <laughs> don't, don't name names then. Just, uh, just give us the worst story. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, I mean, there's just things that people have said where you just go, mm, that's how I don't want to turn out. Um, I haven't had really any terrible, terrible, you know, you know, uh, unnecessary comments like, you know, you're, you're as opening act, your job is, you know, to get in and out and not be in the way, yeah. but you also want to do a good job. It's reflective of the whole night. Right. And there was one particular, um, opening slot. I was on tour with them and, uh, they had set me, they'd set us to set up five minutes before doors and sound check thinking, well, yeah. you know, we're not going to get the drums up in that time. You know, there's, there's, that's absolutely no. Is there any way you can hold doors for 15, 20 yeah. minutes? We'll do it as quickly as we can. It'll be better for everyone. And they turn around and just said, that's what happens when you play with the big boys. Mm. And I just thought, what a wholly unnecessary attitude that's kind of right, sh yeah. shooting yourself yeah. in the foot. Um, you know, things like that that have happened. Um, but, but really, never, never anything never anything more than just inflated egos and you just think oh, you're a bit of a prick and then walk away you know <laughs> getting a photo what? with some, with one of the one of a guy that i really looked up to for a while and we're all you know everyone's everyone's hugging like this uh and the photo clicks and he just turns around to me and says this must be an honor for you and i thought <laughs> well, it, it was <laughs> yeah but, okay yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so let, let's let's talk about who 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 would you absolutely love to work with? Now? I mean, you've had some great uh, experiences. You've worked with some great people so far, uh, but who's who's still on the list to be you know to be ticked off to, to have your photograph taken with? Uh, you know, um, I would just love to work with Richard Thompson. Um, yeah. Not particularly a blues blues guy, but a musician that I admire greatly. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet him and and to to talk with him, but I would love, I would love to write with him. I'd love to to kind of uh, to play with him. I think he's such a unique player and such a great musician. Martin Offler, again, I, I'd love to be, uh, I'd love to just I don't know break down and cry in front of him and say thank you. <laughs> um, uh. Uh, they're they're an enormous amount. Of, I, I wish um, I had been around here in Chicago when the blues scene was really in its in its kind of uh, you know throes. Um, the whole Maxwell Street. There was a street down on the south side that just basically closed down. Uh, you know, and and people would just play out in the streets. I'd love to have seen that. I'd love to have played with. You know, I would love to have picked out his uh, Rush's brains or magic sam or you know those those old guys here 
Uh, there are some wonderful musicians in town that that are remnants of those days that you know hung out with them and um they never really get there they're just Jews um people like Lurie Bell um who's just a wonderful musician um Billy Branch folks like that that, that are really kind of the generation after those those legendary figures but are incredible in their own right um so yeah I from a blues standpoint those guys I I really uh, I really look up to, um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, I think probably for me, Richard Thompson just is such a wonderful all rounder. I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to spend more time with him. Well, you know, I'll speak to my people, see what we can do. And, uh, you know, yeah, thank you. <laughs> have, have my sharks speak to your sharks? And... Yeah, I know no one. Um, <laughs> Me neither. Let's, let's talk about uh, you, you know uh, songwriting a little bit because you just mentioned that. And um, what's 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 your process for for writing songs? Do you find it easy, or is it something you have to plan to do and you know sit down and and and, and suffer over kind of thing, or is it just a very? Oh, you know, oh, I wrote songs this morning. It's bloody great. <laughs> oh, um, I think I write it any way I can, right? Um, I I find some of them just pop out, and it's there, and it's done, and it's it's a really fast process. And some of them are really laborious, um, and I don't think there's any rhyme or reason for me. Um, I just try and write whenever I can, however I can, and then make sense of it afterwards. Um, I think whatever pops out and then and then try and figure it out after that um that's that's always been my kind of haphazard approach i was i was listening to um the single this morning that you've got out uh, oh. which i liked a lot and i thought it was very interesting because it was uh it was two tracks and for me it was definitely very much two sides of, of, of a coin roll me that's it um i thought it was kind of very, very sort of um southern soul-y kind of feel which i absolutely love that sort of stuff brilliant uh and then on the flip side um which is like the moon i found that much more modern contemporary almost almost not blues kind of but uh oh yeah is is that something you're exploring doing doing you know kind of really mixing things up do you see yourself going one way or another in the future again i think it's haphazard um <laughs> I, I'm not very good at, at follow, at, and I don't mean this in an arrogant or in a bragging way. Just, just in a, in a, I'm not very good at staying in one lane. I like all sorts of different things, and I, I um, just write and whatever pops out. The light of the moon, that that kind of more modern thing. Yeah. Um, I, I actually, I, I was on this um phase, a wonderful phase of listening to uh, Tony McPhee and the Groundhogs. Uh, so much. I think they're a band so underrated. Uh, Tony McPhee is wonderful. And um, they had an album called Split, and I was just listening to that non-stop. And I love this kind of almost psychedelic side of it. And that was a song that popped out from listening to that. Uh, and I don't know why it ended up in this more modern kind of thing, but I agree, it, it, it did. Um, and then Roll Me... Um, I was listening to, at the time, a lot of Fantastic Negrito, a lot of Sly Stone, uh, um, also a lot of um, uh, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, and this kind of, this this soul thing. And, yeah, and, um, vibe, yeah. 
Yeah, and and it was actually Eric Korn who wrote wrote the song. And when he he uh, it was just kind of just a bit of synchronicity. He he showed me that song. I was like, this is great. I I love this. This is really cool. So I think it's just um, maybe a, a product of just me being a little bit unsettled. I don't know. Uh, I like lots of different things, and yeah, so it just kind I think of that's good. Ends up like that. Ah, well, cheers. The future is is knocking on quite a lot now. You know, technology is is getting very exciting and that kind of thing. Um, I want you to imagine a, a, a many years into the future now, where it's you, you, you're almost at the end of your journey, and um, very very exciting news is that uh, robot parts have become available, and they say that they can keep you alive to carry on making great music for 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 years and years and years to go. And what I want to know, it's a, it's a two-pronged question, basically, is um, okay. the first part is, what, what parts would you allow them to, to replace with robot parts of you? And, and what parts wouldn't you allow? It's a very strange <laughs> question, I know, but this is how my brain works. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I think... Let's try and, let's try and be sensible. Um, <laughs> I think... It would be miserable to be uh, um, ancient and, and immobile, so I think legs would be would be fairly useful. Okay. Yeah. I think arms would also be useful for for um, playing guitar. You know, certainly for guitar playing. Yes, yes. Yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> this is a really this is a really <laughs> unusual, difficult question. It's a strange question. Yeah. It is, isn't it? What, um, what about what about things like brain and heart? Would you think? Do you think that uh, we could get away with robot brains and hearts for musicians? Um. Well, I think brains. I mean, would they upload your old brain into a robot brain? Is that how that would work? I guess so yeah, you'd have all your old memories yeah. and remember all the same okay. riffs and licks and stuff, and yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be great, as long as there's still the facility to forget stuff. I don't know. It seems like an, an, an odd idea to live forever, really, doesn't it? I think... Well, I didn't say ever. I, just meant, I said, I, you know... Just, just for a bit. Just prolong, you know. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, prolong. A certain amount of time, yeah. But uh, what musician would you like to see brought back to life through the power of robotics? <laughs> Specifically, so you can jam with them and, and maybe, you know, write some okay. stuff. Okay. Wow. I think Rory Gallagher. Yeah, I was just such a massive fan, um, just such a massive fan, and I, I would love to have had the opportunity to see him live. Yeah, uh, Davey, it's been absolutely lovely chatting with you here on the Blues Podcast. Thank you so much. Wish you lots and lots of success in the future uh, with all your robot parts, of course, and all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, thank you so much for having me. Thank it's you. been great. Hopefully, uh, I'll bump into you on the road somewhere along the way, and we can have a proper real chat. That'd be lovely. Proper jam as well. You're on. Thank you for joining us on the Blues Podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from, and also make sure you leave us a review and a rating as this helps other people find the blues podcast i'll catch you next time bye